7, 6, 5. This is 542 in the Blue. Podcast discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher. Background music. Hard-boiled. Performed by Kevin McLeod. Used per common licensee. This is Victoria your producer. Scott, you're online. 3, 2, 1. Thank you, Victoria, for starting us out and opening up our podcast today. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another Shade of Blue story with 542 and the Blue, where we talk about and discuss issues dealing with law enforcement, cold cases, old crimes, some new crimes, and law enforcement issues that have occurred and impacted on the Appalachian area of the United States. And we also talk about some issues and some things that have happened in other parts of the world and other parts of the United States as well that are kind of interesting and I hope impart some information or some knowledge out there to individuals who we hope are listening. Today we're going to talk about something that is affecting all of us today, and that has to do with the current corona crisis that the United States and the world is going through. Now, it's not the first time we've had to go through such a situation as a population on this planet. There have been viruses and infections that have impacted negatively on the population and on people on this planet for off since the planet probably got started with people. What comes to mind, of course, is the bubonic plague, a spreading of smallpox in the United States, the 1918-1919 Spanish flu situation that in the United States was killing people pretty much right and left and the same worldwide. Documents show about 50 million people worldwide were killed by this particular strain of flu. It's called the Spanish flu, but it really didn't get started in Spain. It seems to have started in the United States, actually, and spread throughout the world due to World War I. And as Spain was a neutral country, they were actually publishing information in their press about the flu, whereas other countries involved in World War I we're limiting the information going out. So Spain seemed to be, have the most information on it and Spanish papers were floating around with our soldiers that were in Europe at the time. The term Spanish flu or the Spanish lady as it was also called stuck. Now like today in that crisis nurses were on the front line caring for the sick. Most hospitals were pretty much packed in the country needed nurses to care for victims in their homes. Chicago was the same way pretty much as everywhere else in the world was. They needed every nurse they could find and everybody that could help was put to use to help. One young lady, Miss Julia Lyons, saw this need and she stepped forward. But Unfortunately, her intentions were not necessarily well-meaning, to say the least. She portrayed herself as a busy visiting home health care nurse 
in the Chicago area during the pandemic of 1918. And it goes without saying, when you look close at Miss Slick Julia, as some of the press called her later, as she came to be known, she was not Florence Nightingale, that's for sure. 23-year-old Julia saw an opportunity in others' suffering. Now, thinking that nobody would have time to check credentials or the lack of credentials, she was fairly well correct on that. She set herself up as a home health nurse. She registered as a nurse under several different names and spent about two or three months caring for a string of ailing and sick men and women across the city of Chicago. Now, this was not the first time Julia pretended to be something she or someone she wasn't. During the summer of 1918, before the pandemic got rolling strongly, Julia obtained a star or a badge of the U.S. Department of Justice. Apparently, the badge stolen from a Justice Department agent who had allegedly left it on the nightstand. And you can figure or stick your own assumptions into that and see where they come out yourself. We won't go that far. Now, she ended up using that badge to cash stolen and forged checks and perform various illegal enterprises while pretending to be a Justice Department agent, which is really upcoming for women at that time that she was able to convince others that she was a Justice Department agent at 23 years old. Julia's story itself, the impersonation of a federal officer and her next escapade as being imitation nurse, became quite popular stories in the newspaper and the press at the time, and it helped sell papers. The fake flu nurse's escapades read like a dime store novel. Now, while influenza patients, whether they lived or died, Julia really didn't care. While in her nurse's uniform, under the guise of taking care of them, she literally plundered their houses while pretending to take care of them. In one situation, documented, a woman called for a nurse and Julia responded. The woman had been on oxygen and needed a refill on her prescription for it. Now, Julia went to the drugstore, prescription was received, and she returned with the oxygen that cost about $5. But she had doctored the receipt, told the patient it was going to cost $63 for that re refill as opposed to five. Now, if you look at $1918 versus $2020, that equals to about $85 for the oxygen. What she asked the lady for being $1,077 in 2020 currency. Now, before leaving, after taking care of her patient, in that particular instance, Julia took two rings, two lady suits, a pair of Oxfords, of course they had to go with the, the dress, I, am, I imagine, and a jewelry stick pin, and then did not go back. At times, Julia did work with a partner, man pretending or presenting himself as a medical doctor, 
but in reality was basically a pusher, a drug dealer, and narcotic supplier. Uh, this is according to an article in the Chicago Tribune from 1918. This imitation doctor would write prescriptions and give house calls and bill for the house call, and Julia would run out and get the prescriptions filled or whatever else was needed, and then split the cash with the doctor, acting like a doctor. Doctor, The victim would be out 25 dollars for 10 cents worth of cherry cola that they pretended was actually medication. Now Julia was also very fast on her feet when she was confronted. She was taking care of one elderly gentleman who became suspicious about her. Julia instantly turned on the charm. She asked the man, don't you remember me? Why, when I was a little girl, I used to hitch rides on your wagons. In early conversation, it had come up that the man had used to have horses and wagons in a transportation business. Now, he couldn't exactly place her as being one, but apparently it jarred some sort of memory with him because it did. he convinced him that he had known her, and it made it easier for her to put the touch on him for $28 worth of oxygen and $22 for the cherry cola medicine that she sold or provided. Now, while police did get involved in during the investigation, police interviewed the man while they were looking at Julia before she absconded. And the gentleman was quite horrified at the idea that this beautiful, smiling, model-looking nurse might be a crook out to take him in. He told the detectives that were investigating her for some other incidents, why I've known her for 20 years. When she was a little girl, she used to hitch rides on my wagons. Well, he didn't believe the police, but later after the police left and Julia came back to check on her patient, or score some more cash from him. She found out the detectives were asking about her and she vanished. Now for good measure, she also took a wristwatch, a pocket watch, some cash and some other items. The gentleman realized that these items were missing later and called the detectives and he was quoted in the paper as saying, by golly, I guess I was wrong. There you go. Detectives finally traced Julia through a friend named Eva Jacobs. Both shared a house with another woman who was known as, and I love this nickname she had, Suicide Best Davis, who was a con woman specializing in suicide cons. I'm not exactly sure what those are, but it must have been profitable or they wouldn't have been doing it. Bess was also involved nine months previously with a payroll robbery that led to the arrest of 35 individuals. The house that she lived in that our Julia was rooming in was known as a hangout for thieves, according to the Chicago papers, and a kind of motel for the thieves' girlfriends and other women criminals, according to the articles in the Chicago Tribune. Eva and Julia both were arrested while they were there at this ladies' hotel 
for thievery. That night, they ended up both being put in adjoining cells. Aniva told investigators later, well, we thought it was easy money, after revealing that she was also involved with Julia in ripping patients off. The next day in the police station, Julia came face to face with the widow of a former patient and a fake nurse that she as a fake nurse had abandoned and stolen from. Victims said, you killed my husband. There is no punishment too terrible for you. Again, according to the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Julia was arraigned under charges of larceny, running a confidence gain, and obtaining money under false pretense. But it gets better. Slick Julia was not done. When it came time for her to appear in court, Deputy Sheriff John Hickey volunteered to transport her to court. Now, Chief Bailiff told the deputy, better be careful, she's pretty slick. Don't let her get away. And the two detectives that were working on the case, Detective Frank Smith and Detective Rockbert Jacobs, that head of the investigation that caused Lyons to be arrested in the first place, uh, they said the same thing, citing her previous escape from a South Clark Street jail in Chicago where she basically sweet-talked her way out and onto the street. But the deputy said, nope, she won't get away from me. Now, instead of transporting Julia to the courthouse in a patrol wagon, which was a little odd, the deputy instead took her on a streetcar. They did make it to court, and some 50 victims testified against her, and she was placed under a $13,000 secured bond, uh, the equivalent of $190,000 in today's cash. Now, Julia had trouble before. When she was 19, she got caught and found guilty on some larceny charges that were later dropped when she was able to convince the judge that she was quite insane. Taking a personal interest in Miss Julia, if you know what I mean, the judge ended up having her sentenced to an insane asylum in Illinois, which a week later she walked away from. Like the man said, I may be crazy, but I ain't stupid. She had escaped and disappeared again. Now, Deputy Hickey, started back to the county jail with Julia after the court cases and she was found guilty of of a bunch of them and they she was going to have to go back for more trial an hour and a half later he ended up calling the police station and excitedly told them that she had jumped from a moving street car and hopped into a waiting automobile now based on the reported location one official speculated that Hickney had taken his prisoner and they had been going to nightclubs in the area. That's interesting in itself. Little bit of pressure brought against the deputy who changed his story to say that Julia had wanted to go to the bank to withdraw some money. And while there, he said, I turned my head just for a second and then she was gone. And that night, the good deputy was jailed on suspicion of accepting a payoff and a bribe. Soon, Julia was back at what she did best, con games with people's lives. In March of 1919, police had tracked her down through another nurse registry. Apparently, she went back to that, since it was so profitable, to a home on Fulton Boulevard in Chicago. 
And then when police arrived, Julia actually answered the door. Now, the papers now refer to her as Flu Julia, the woman who had walked away one November day from the Deputy Sheriff John Hickey and walked into custody involuntarily last night, the Chicago Tribune reported it. Now she faced new charges. Along with the larceny in the original charges that she had skipped out on, she was facing a bigamy charge. Though already married, Julia had gotten married again to a young soldier. Julia denied doing any of the con game and said that while I met the gentleman while clerking in a delicatessen on the south side, that's what I do. Apparently, they had only known each other's about four days before they went off and got married. Well, the next month, Julia went on trial for larceny and other crimes and the bigamy issue. And then she testified that she was the victim of a band of thieves who had forced her to commit acts against her will. She even fainted a couple of times in court to show her distress and her vulnerability. But the jury didn't buy it. They did like the show, though, but they didn't buy the book. Before sentencing, Julia tried to plead insanity, but several doctors testified that was far from the case. She wasn't insane. She was just a bad lady. In July of 1919, Slick Julia, the fake flu nurse, was sent to the Illinois State Penitentiary for over 10 years. Now, there's some other issues that have come up in looking at crime and punishment during that time. From an article on November 11, 1918, posted in the Seattle Daily Times, men who were wearing flu masks, wearing the regulation influenza mask, two bandits held up a Beacon Street streetcar near the South Terminus at 12.53 this morning and relieve the conductor, Mr. Donnelly, of $52.55. Again, doing a currency exchange to modern dollars, that'd be about $970-some dollars. Now, there were no passengers on board, and the robbers fled and were not caught. There was another incident about this same time that occurred in San Francisco, where the flu investigator confronted a man for not wearing his mask on the street in San Francisco. And when the man shoved the inspector and walked away, the inspector pulled a gun and shot him. They took wearing masks seriously back then, apparently. Now, local courts, on the other hand, had more flexibility in how they met with this crisis at that time. In many cities, judges either drastically reduced their caseloads or simply closed their courts altogether for the duration of the epidemic. Some held outdoor sessions and some, surprisingly, the impact of court closures turned out to be less severe than anticipated and they actually flowed a lot better. Seattle saw a drastic drop-off in the number of marriage licenses during the epidemic. Although, interestingly enough, the number of divorce filings did increase. 
The Chicago crime stats took a major dive during the epidemic. Some criminals were simply too ill to commit their crimes. Others found out that with the majority of Chicago's residents stuck at home, generally in the evening due to the closure orders and no place to go, uh, opportunities for robberies and holdups and petty larcenies were, were quite few. In fact, at that time, as opposed to what's happening today, crime in Chicago fell 35% during the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic period as compared with the same time the previous year. Violence during pandemics is not new, but the type of violence that has prevailed have changed based on the context of the disease and the thinking of the individuals involved. During the Black Death, 1342 to 1353, Europeans increasingly attacked and massacred Jewish communities, accusing them of well poisoning and other attacks on non-Jewish populations. Just as in America, some individuals secretly massacred and buried groups of Irish immigrants during the 1832 cholera outbreak. Citizens feared they had brought the cholera disease to their community and to the United States. And it kind of goes to show that the issues we are dealing with today are very similar to what occurred in the past. And hopefully we can learn from our past so that we don't make the same mistakes today. Now that's our Shade of Blue story for this week. Victoria and I hope you found it of some interest. We will be back here with another Shade of Blue story next Saturday at 7 o'clock. In the meantime, try to be safe and be secure. And if you have the opportunity to do so, do something nice or constructive for somebody. It's the small things that come together to build big structures. Thank you for listening. And Victoria will let you will give you the website if you want to get in contact with, with me to discuss this case. I love hearing from you guys. Also, I love getting suggestions for future Shades of Blue stories. So, Victoria, go ahead and close us out, and you've got the control board. And like I said, we'll talk to you guys next Saturday. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. This is the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Your host today, Scott Lunsford, retired police detective sergeant, researcher, and author of the Asheville Cop Mystery Book series, as well as the Young Persons series, The Girls from Gift. Girls. Investigating Fantastic Things. For more information, please go to 542 and the blue.com or scottlunsfordauthor.com where you can contact Scott. This is Victoria, producer and sound engineer. Thank you for listening. 2 1 End